Hello, everybody. Uh, we will totally get on to our show today, but we kind of want to start out with just a very brief uh, little mini tribute moment of silence for uh, Kobe Bryant and his family and the nine people who died in the helicopter crash uh, in Calabasas, California today. Uh, many of you have probably heard uh, Kobe Bryant widely renowned as obviously one of the greatest basketball players of his generation, maybe one of the greatest of all time, um, was in that helicopter crash as well as his 13-year-old daughter. Uh, he's also an Oscar-winning filmmaker behind the film Dear Basketball. Um, so this is all pretty tragic, uh, and we just kind of want to offer up thoughts and prayers to him and his family and have a little... Definitely moment of silence uh for all those victims and their families so we'll do that now and the show will resume right after that all right let's uh do that moment of silence All right, thank you guys for joining us in that, and um, on to the show. Uh, today, I'm joined as always by Eduardo LeBron. The two Eduardos are back for another week of podcasting. Um, and today, you can introduce our topic since... Sure. This is kind of your field more than it is mine. So. Right, right. Well, I, I, so it's appropriate with, um, you know, to, to introduce today's show uh, regarding Puerto Rico. Um, Puerto Rico is, um, as we know, and has been a U.S. territory and colony since uh, the War of 1898, the Spanish-American War, the Great Little War, as they called it. Yeah. And... Um, and so, I guess in today's show, what we'd like to do is, you know, a lot of folks have been hearing about Puerto Rico, you know, Hurricane Maria, you know, which was the second hurricane that hit a couple of years back with, you know, one right after the other. Maria was the second one that had hit in a week's time, basically, and devastated the island. Um, and it's, in, it's infrastructure, uh, mostly it's electrical grid and water. Um, and, um, and you know, it, it happens at a moment in time when the island um, is going through some financial hardships, if you will, you know, with a $72 billion debt to Wall Street. Um, and on top of that, recently, um, it's, it's gotten hit by um, several earthquakes oh, and yeah. aftershocks. Yeah, and uh, you know, in the past week week or so, um, they've been experiencing, you know, a lot of uh, aftershocks of, of, as well. Uh, some of those aftershocks, you know, uh, rain 
rating and you know mostly at a 5.0 on the Richter scale and so which is a you know a significant aftershock now you know Puerto Rico um, for those of you that don't or are not familiar it's an island the Caribbean um, is the it's the the minor of the major Antilles Islands and the major or the largest of the minor Antilles Islands um, because of its location. It was a strategic location for many, many years. Uh, the U.S. Um, after the Spanish-American War, one of the reasons for taking the island was because of its strategic position in the Caribbean and access to the Panama Canal. Um, and so over the years, you know, they've had um, as many as 30 military installations on the island, and which they all gradually were closed down. And there's only one remaining there now, which is Fort Buchanan, essentially. Um, the, the bases on the neighboring islands that belong to Puerto Rico, on the islands of Culebra and Vieques, um, where, where they where there were naval installations at one time. Uh, Culebra uh, closed this naval installation in um, in the 1970s uh, because of protests from students at the University of Puerto Rico. And, um, and then Vieques, um, we know, uh, was a more recent event um, in terms of uh, closing that military installation and that was due to uh, popular demonstrations, if you will, which included, you know, the King family, um, the Kennedys, and and other well-known uh, people from the United States who actually joined the, those those demonstrations on the island of Vieques and managed to to have the naval base there closed down. Um, now. You know, over the years, Puerto Rico has had um, an interesting history because, the, you know, when the U.S. was ceded the island uh, by Spain um, as a booty of war, essentially, uh, they, for the first couple of years or so, they had a military government on the island. So then the four-acre act comes into play and that gets passed and they go into a um, a civilian type government, but it was a uh, it was you know there were no elections at those times on the island, not because of a lack of knowledge of a democracy, because when the Spaniards occupied the island, uh, Puerto Rico was got to a point where it was granted autonomy by Spain, and that was six months prior to the U.S. invasion of the island. And so, um, a milita uh, the military tr uh, government has transitioned into a civilian one uh, with the Four Acre Act, and then um, uh, the governors from that point on are U.S. or Americans, uh, mostly U.S. admirals or former admirals, and um, and that goes on until 1945, basically. Actually, 1947, I believe, when Jesus de Pinedo was was elected. Well, he wasn't elected. He was a, he was a, he was actually a, uh, 
how do we say appointed, uh, but he was a Puerto Rican admiral in the U.S. Navy. But he was the first Puerto Rican to actually become governor, appointed governor of the island. And then thereafter, you know, the, the, the history gets interesting, and, and I guess that's what, that's where we can sort of pick up our history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, and I don't know if you watched the videos that I that I that I had pointed to you to watch, but yeah, um, you did, right? Yes. Very interesting, right? Yeah. You know, the history of the island is is, is rather interesting. It had a a thriving agricultural economy. However, after the U.S. invades, um, you know that agricultural economy is turned into a, um, you know, single uh, agricultural product economy. Essentially, sugar cane. Mm. You know, and uh, and that's what essentially um, you know brings the island to uh, a position of hardship, if you will, because. You know, sugar took a big hit during the earlier part of the, the 20th century. Um, you know, uh, the U.S. had um, sugar manufacturing in Cuba as well. You know, and, and of course with competition from around the globe. And, you know, uh, there was a point in time when sugar prices plummeted. And it was no longer, you know, the cash cow that it, what, that it had been. And so the citizens of the, the the folks who became eventually became citizens. We can talk about the the Jones Act. There, there are two Jones Acts. Um, one of them is is a um, is the first Jones Act, which which is enacted in 1917, which gives Puerto Ricans it grants them U.S. citizenship. But it happens conveniently at a time when uh, when the U.S. is thinking about entering the First World War, and uh, twenty thousand. Puerto Ricans are drafted um, uh, to serve uh, in that war, you know. But, you know, going back uh, to, to 1901, you know, when the U.S. decides that it's going to convert the Puerto Rican peso, which was on par on the international monetary market, if you will, with the U.S. dollar one for one of equal value, Okay, uh, the U.S. decides to convert their the Puerto Rican peso into the American dollar, and when they do that, uh, they decide on a convenient exchange rate, which essentially impoverishes the Puerto Rican people even further by taking away forty percent of their wealth. So the exchange rate was a sixty percent uh, exchange. So. Uh, the U.S. dollar comes into play, but the but the value of the uh, in the exchange, the value of the peso is, is valued at sixty percent rather than a hundred percent of its actual value, uh, which essentially means that those folks who had savings and property and anything else uh, based on that currency uh, essentially lost forty percent of their wealth in that exchange. Now. You know, during the earlier part of the century, um, because Puerto Rico wasn't um, sort of acquired, if you will, um, by peaceful means, uh, the U.S. actually, you know, General Miles 
invaded from the from the south from Guanica, you know, and uh, and McKinley from the north, you know, through San Juan, mm-hmm. and um, and so um, you know they were faced with uh, with having to fight not not the Spanish so much, uh, but the actual Puerto Rican citizens who who were now a sovereign or an autonomous nation at that point because. You know, Spain had granted them autonomy six months before. And um, anyway, so they go in there by force. And you could look at any newsreel on the Spanish-American War, and they have one that's specifically on Puerto Rico. Anyone can find it on YouTube. And they show the soldiers actually coming in and shooting their guns and, and actually a gun battle with Puerto Rican citizens. Didn't, um, you know, to take over the island. At this time, Teddy yeah. Roosevelt was... Yeah, the, he was he's the leading rider. the Rough Rider, yeah, and he he fought the Battle of San Juan Hill. That's exactly One right. Of, he was in Cuba. Yeah, he was in Cuba at the time, and 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 he fought that battle. But you know, it's interesting that the United States utilizes the the blowing up or the explosion of the USS Maine in Havana Harbor mm-hmm. uh, to go into war with Spain. Um, uh, and conveniently. We know nowadays that 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 was a setup, so to speak. Yeah, that uh, ship that had blown Spanish, up because it yeah. was carrying munitions and everything inside of it. Essentially, it basically blew up from malfunction. Um, exactly. And and we blamed it on the Spanish. Exactly, the Spanish it, were blamed, and and it became the act of war, or the the incident that was required in order to create the conflict and go to war. Right? Yeah, and then go to war against Spain. Something take their territories essentially. Yeah, and something very similar happened at the start of World War One. We always blame the sinking of the USS. I don't even remember what it was. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever got, whatever ship that was that we lost in World War One, we always talk about that. Like, oh, the German U-boat sunk that ship, but that ship, and we were like, oh, it was a peaceful ship, but that ship actually right. wasn't just carrying normal stuff like they say it was but it was carrying, carrying we- as well. weapons as well yep. yeah and then and that also mm-hmm. had a malfunction and exploded and we blamed it on the germans right. and we used it as oh, an excuse the lithuania the lithuania the yes that's what it was yeah so so yeah so that so it's so it's interesting you know because when we, we what we find in puerto rico's case is which is a a, a very classic case of 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 how you con- you, you you manufacture consent basically to go into war yeah with a country which is the same practices that have uh, followed in subsequent wars including Vietnam uh, yeah Viet- Iraq yeah Vietnam probably you know? the most um, kind of infamous of them right yeah and. We didn't, and it, what's weird about that is we didn't even fully, fully get like uh, a confirmation that that um, the Gulf of Tonkin incident was like yep. faked until the Errol Morris documentary, The Fog of War, where Robert S. McNamara, right? This documentary came out in 2003, and Robert McNamara admitted to having doubts. Basically saying that the second attack at, at Tonkin didn't happen at all, right? Which was really mm-hmm. crazy thing to admit uh, <laughs> for yeah. A documentary. Yeah, 
you know, Puerto Rico has an interesting history because it was always desired by the by the West, if you will. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the the British invaded and occupied the island uh, in the 1700s. Uh, you know, they and the only reason why they were chased out was because they got sick because they were drinking the water. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and uh, they essentially caught dysentery and and had to abandon ship. You know. Um, but, you know, the Dutch also invaded at one time, and, and so did the French Corsairs attack several times uh, the island and occupied portions of it. And so, um, you know, it was always one of those territories, if you will, an island that was uh, attractive, if you will, uh, to the Europeans yeah, and, and the Americans, you know, who were... You know, European actually were, were at that point in time, you know, losing their. Um, uh, how do we say? You know, historically their 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 empire was was diminishing or, or shrinking, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and the Americans who, who you know had um, just created their own nation, right? Yeah. Not not, not too long before that. No. You know, um, you know, because we're talking the 1700s, and then you know, here we are, less than 200 years later. Yeah, it was just and, over. And it was, we're invading the island of Puerto Rico. Yeah, know? it was. It was a little yeah. over a hundred years. Yeah, we had been a nation. So, exactly, and so it was always attractive, uh, an attractive piece of um, how do we say that um, of land, if you will, uh, you know, uh, to to, to a lot of nations. And so the Americans just happened to be the ones who took full advantage of it and were able to invade and occupy the island. Now, it's interesting because during the Spanish-American War, they also acquired Guam, the Philippines, the Samoan Islands, you know, um, Puerto Rico, Cuba, you know, hmm. um, among the territories that they, they, they managed to take over uh, from Spain and, uh, and, and also became highly influential in this hemisphere over all the Latin American countries who had, or had already fought uh, their Spanish rulers and chased them out, essentially. You know? And so the United States, uh, with its imperialist, if you will, ideas, expanding their empire easily um, was influential in the Americas, you know, and, and still is nowadays, uh, controls many of the of the governments in Latin America. Yeah. And we, but that's not that's not for today's discussion. I mean, you know, we can get into that some other time. Yeah. But let's talk about let's talk about, you know, Puerto Ricans are they US citizens, obviously, you know, they're US citizens. The Jones Act of nineteen seventeen granted them the, the, you know, American citizenship. Now, it's interesting because the citizenship that Puerto Ricans possess is a second-class type of citizenship because Puerto Ricans on the island, um, they can vote in primary elections, but they can't vote in the main, you know, presidential elections, hmm. you know. They can only elect the governor on the island, all right? They, they, so they don't. There's no such thing as a Puerto Rican uh, president, all right. And um, 
And so, you know, in 1952, when when the what, what's known as the Estado Libre Asociado or the Free Associated State of Puerto Rico, actually, it's not even the 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 literal translation would be Free Associated State, but the actual translation adopted for it was the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico. Further um, illustrating or indicating to the world that that it that it was a U.S. territory. And in '52, when the Puerto Ricans actually got to create this Estado Libre Asociado or, or the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, and they drafted up a constitution. You know, there was a clause placed in that constitution that stated that at no time will the Puerto Rican constitution and any of its amendments uh, be in direct contradiction with that of the American constitution, you know, which which sort of points to that paternalistic relationship, you know, of one nation dominating the other, Mm -hmm. you know. And so... um, you know, there was a large migration of Puerto Ricans over the years um, to the United States, and and nowadays we have approximately five million or so Puerto Ricans in the United States, and 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 maybe a couple of million on the island, and uh, and probably another million or so of people from other nations, Cubans, about a hundred thousand Cubans, Haitians. Um, a large Dominican population. I think the Dominican population may be up to about 150,000 or, or more now, um, and so forth. You know, which which I believe has has been a, an instrument or a tactic a tactic by the United States to to undermine the authority of Puerto Ricans on their own island. Essentially, you know, when you bring in strangers, you know, people from other nations uh, or even Americans. And, and they're placed in positions of control and power. So just um, a number, well, real quick. Yeah, As of sorry. 2015, there's 1.87 million Dominicans in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but in Puerto Rico, um, there's probably about 130,000 of them living on the Puerto Rican island. Yes. Okay. Yes. And back in the in the 80s. Um, I remember one of the figures came out that they were like 80,000 Cubans. And these were exiles from uh, the Castro, Regime. you know, when Castro took yeah. over Cuba. And and they conveniently wound up living on the island of Puerto Rico and, and actually participating in a lot of the activities uh, that were organized against or in an effort by the United States to control uh, the, the, the left that they call what they called the left on the island, which wasn't really a left, it was a nationalist movement mm-hmm. um, of people that believed in Puerto Rican independence and sovereignty for their country. You know, uh, an organization, the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party, was the most popular and infamous at the same time because um, during the earlier part of the century, um, uh, Albizu, Don Pedro Albizu Campos, who was the leader of the organization, became leader of the organization um, in the 1930s, um, was um, charged with sedition and incarcerated here in the United States, and 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 from that point forward, essentially become you know starts the the conflict, the, the direct combative 
conflict between uh, people on the island, you know, mainly members of the Nationalist Party and the um, and the American government representatives on the island. Uh, you got to think up and put it in context because although there was a civilian government, um, you know, that it was an insular police force that was created on the island, and the insular police was led by by Americans, you know. Um, and we know that when Winship was governor of the island, um, he had brought to the island, I can't forget, I can't remember the guy's name now, but, but to lead the insular police, who, who actually was a, a relative to, um, to a bank owners here in the United States. And um, what was this man's name? And I'm trying to recall his name right now, but um, it's interesting that he's he's the gentleman that's brought over to, to run the, the insular police, and he's actually the one who declares war on all of the Puerto Rican people, you know, um, and and is the or the person who orchestrates the um, the the Ponce massacre mm-hmm. in 1937, uh, which was a it was a a demonstration that was organized and was and was granted permission by the mayor of the city of Ponce to 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 march uh, to you know to have a peaceful demonstration and uh, you know the the insular police. Uh, actually organized uh, an outright attack. They they surrounded these people. Didn't allow them to march. They withdrew the per- they withdrew these people's permit uh, last minute, and uh, and then proceeded to gun them down with Tommy guns. You know, and killed seventeen people and injured uh, many many more. You know, and that became the Ponce massacre. And then in retaliation, of course, the nationalists then attacked. Uh, you know this uh, this police chief. He wasn't a chief. He was actually the, um, the the police commissioner or the commissioner of the insular police. And um, and uh, and so the battle starts. Right in 1950, um, the nationalists were plotting a um, uh, a revolution. You know, an arms revolution against the United States on the island to, to get them, ex, you know, to get them out of the island. And, uh, and the United States, in anticipation, uh, and, and naturally, they had infiltrated the organization and knew what was going on and decided that they were going to um, go on ahead and strike first. So the guy, so the guy name was Colonel Elijah Francis Riggs, who was head of the insular police. And Riggs, uh, you know, his family was a big banking family, hmm. you know, here in the United States. They owned a, a bank in the U.S. at the time. And uh, and so Riggs is the guy who orchestrates this whole Ponce um, Massacre incident on the island, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's almost like you're you're backing folks up against the wall, uh, the wall, and then not expecting them to react. You know. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, Pedro Albizu Campos uh, served like uh, ten years in prison initially, and then uh, was in a hospital in the United States. Um, 
and his followers. He had followers here in the United States as well, members of the Nationalist Party. And um, and they decided, okay, well, you know, if you guys want to play it that way, then we'll go back and forth with you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so it's, 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 it's just an interesting uh, series of events because in 1950, the U.S. decides to bomb the cities of the towns of Utuado and Hayuya, and, uh, and and this was to head off, if you will, the the the, the so-called uh, revolution that was being organized by the nationalists, which started with a prison break in Rio Piedras, and and um, and then eventually ultimately led to the the breaking into uh, the police stations. Uh, because police were obviously occupied trying to catch the guys who, who escaped from prison. And so it made the police stations easy pickings for the arms that were being stored there. And so the nationalists, as part of their tactics, decided that they would go on ahead and, and attack the police stations, raid the raid their you know, their arms coffers basically and take what they could. Yeah. You know, to help arm themselves. And it's the only time in history that the U.S. actually launches an aerial attack, an invasion, outright invasion, because 5,000 National Guard troops were mobilized um, on an American population because they were already citizens at that point. We're talking 1950. Yeah. Uh, October 1950. Then Oscar Collazo and Griselio Torresola, who were members of the, of the organization, who find themselves in New York City at the time, and knowing that the, that the media was being controlled to some extent, and the stories that were coming out were out of, of what was happening on the islands were lies. The U.S. was trying to sell that as the Puerto Ricans were fighting against one another, and it wasn't true. Um, decided to attack Blair House in a suicide mission, uh, where they would go to Washington attack Blair House, which is where Truman was living at the time because the White House was being renovated. And and the consequence of all of this was to bring um, national, international attention to the fact that Puerto Ricans were fighting for independence and their freedom on the island of Puerto Rico. Uh, and and that was the, the tactic, and it actually worked because... Um, uh, Griselio died uh, during the attack. He caught a bullet in the head, essentially, and Collazo was injured um, and sent to jail. And, and actually, during his trial, he used uh, the whole Puerto Rico's history as a uh, as his defense in court. And um, and he was sentenced to be electrocuted in the electric chair. And it was an effort by um, led an international effort by leaders of other countries who said to Truman, hey, guess what? You can't kill this guy. He's a patriot. You know? He's like like your George Washington. You know, anyone who's fighting for freedom. You know? Um, and his actions were sanctioned under international law. <laughs> you know? So Collazo goes on to serve 29 years in prison, mostly at, at the Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. Yeah. And uh, and the battle continues. In 1954, four Puerto Rican nationalists attacked the House of Congress and injure about 16 people. Um, 
Lolita Lebron, no relationship to me, although she was, because um, I'm Lebron, but uh, although she was the, the, the one of the witnesses, if you will, the God, my mother's wedding godmother, if you will, if you're familiar with the Catholic uh, traditions and stuff, you know, you have a, a godmother and a godfather at your wedding, essentially. Mm-hmm. And she served as, as that person uh, during my mother's and my father's wedding. And, uh, but anyway, she, she was the one who led that attack. Um, uh, Andres Figueroa Coldero, Ibn Flores, and Rafael Cancel Miranda, who's the youngest of them all. Um, I think he was just barely 18 years old or something like that. Yeah. Uh, when he went to jail, um, were all, uh, captured and incarcerated and, and, and served 24 years in prisons here in the United States. Um, a couple of them were in Leavenworth with my fa- with my grandfather, Oscar, and and others, uh, you know, were at um, uh, out in San Francisco Bay. There, <laughs> you know, uh, what's the name of that prison over there that closed down years ago? Alcatraz. Uh, 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 yeah, Alcatraz. And, uh, and and you know they got moved around from prison to prison. One of the fears was that they would help orchestrate and organize prison riots. Uh. You know if they were kept together. And so one of the tactics that the system used was to to keep them incarcerated um, and away from general population as much as they could, and even uh, have them uh, serving months and months at a time in solitary confinement for uh, no. Not for having taken, you know, or or, try, or attempting to do anything in the prison, just because if the rumors arose that that the prisoners were planning some type of strike or some type of action, that they would they would get separated from the population. Break up so the le- lead break anything. up who they would assume is the leadership, apparently. Exactly. Of, of basically, I mean. Right. So now you know I mentioned the Jones Act, which which. Um, you know, grants the Puerto Ricans citizenship. But then there's a separate Jones Act, which is a maritime one, which is enacted in 1920. And that's more of a maritime thing that establishes tariffs, if you will, for the import and export of products uh, to Puerto Rico. And so essentially what that does and what what the effect that that it's had, it's been a... a, um, a, uh, a cash cow for 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 the United States, because if if a foreign vessel um, is trying to ship products say to Puerto Rico, they have to go to Jacksonville, Florida, unload to an American vessel, and then add that those products then delivered, uh, you know, to Puerto Rico on an American vessel, mm-hmm. you know, which creates which creates jobs essentially that don't really need creating, right? Why do, why not allow the ship to go directly there and charge them the tariffs? You know, but they, they found a way to scheme, if you will, to enact the Jones Act, uh, you know, which, which not only applied the tariffs, but it created jobs in the United States, uh, maritime jobs uh, for U.S. vessels. And the ultimate result was uh, the increase uh, in the prices of anything sold on the island even if they were manufactured there, believe it or not, because, you know, companies like Casera, um, any of the big pharmaceutical companies um, that were down there sharing 
Johnson and Johnson, Abbott, and we can go on Pfizer, we can go on forever you know, with the list. Yeah. Um, anything that they produced on the island would have to get shipped out to the U.S. for USDA or FDA approval, stamping, and then be uh, re-imported, if you will, to the island, which would essentially increase the price by, by about 30%. So not only now are Puerto Ricans earning less money on the island than, than their counterparts for the same types of jobs in the United States, um, but they're also paying 30% more for products and goods on the island because of the Jones Act, which which was became a big issue during the the Hurricane Maria, uh, because you know they were arguing, the folks on the island were arguing, hey, you know, why don't you lift this temporarily, lift the Jones Act and its restrictions temporarily, so that we can get help from around the globe. Yeah. Well, the U.S. didn't want the U.S. didn't want to do that, but at the same time, they didn't go on ahead and fulfill their promise. To help the island recover, and so and then um, and then that, a couple of years later, and then that even further wasn't helped by the corrupt government on the island, who was just exactly. not distributing the uh, product, the, the 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 relief essentially that they were supposed yeah. to, and there were points where some of that product wasn't being distributed for so long that it couldn't even be distributed, and it and so they it had to damaged. throw stuff it away. Sat in the sun, yeah, exactly. Sat on- Water, tonnages of, of water sat on on land, exposed to the sun, covered with tarps that were just no good anymore. Exactly. You know, um, even you had truckers. You had truckers and truckers unions who refused to deliver unless they were paid a certain wage. Yeah, obviously, and so that that sort of hampered the relief effort. FEMA. Um, uh, did an awful job because uh, they just couldn't get enough people and resources down there to, yeah. to carry out a good relief effort. But not only that, they were impacted by the fact that, you know, a hurricane around the same time had hit Houston. Yeah, Hurricane you know, uh, Harvey? Was that what that Harvey. was? Yeah. That was, yeah. And, uh, and FEMA, FEMA, who doesn't do a good job anyway, right? On the right, right. in the moment that they have to do in the moment that they probably maybe would have been able to do a good job couldn't do a good job because then they were fighting a war on two fronts. <laughs> exactly, it's jacked exactly. up. Exactly, so they so they did an even worse job. Yeah, exactly. Right. What did George Bush say right. to the FEMA director um, um, after uh, Hurricane Katrina? He said something like, "Oh man, I just saw this today." He said something like, "You did a good job," but he did it, but he did it in a way that was like so hilarious. Especially yeah, considering yeah, like, that, like, like I don't believe. Well, I'm telling you, you did a good job, but I don't believe in myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? After he did such a horrible, horrible, terrible job during her during Katrina. Yeah, I think that FEMA so, director he didn't even he had like hadn't even I think he managed like a pet store before he was FEMA. He had like absolutely no experience prior to yeah, becoming director yeah. of FEMA. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. off topic. So yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, so the island has had a, an extremely controversial uh, relationship with the U.S. Uh, it's, it's just like the United States. Uh, it's um, full of, or how do we say, uh, just blanketed in corruption. Yeah. You know, if you will. Um, everyone is stealing and taking for themselves and hiring friends 
getting kickbacks and everything that you can imagine. And who suffers? The Puerto Rican people. And worse, worse yet, the United States government allows it yeah. to happen. You know, which is even, you know, I get it. You know, um, now, granted, my parents are Puerto Rican and I was born here in the United States. I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen twice because I was born here. But <laughs> for me, the issue is, for me, the issue is, you know, let's make some decisions about this island. It's a nation uh, with a distinct um, history and, and also culture and language. Um, you know, like Mitt Romney said, um, when when Fortunio at the time, who was governor, asked Mitt Romney when he was running for president, you know, would you consider making Puerto Rico uh, a state, uh, which is actually a decision that lies in the hands of the U.S. Congress. They're the only ones who can ultimately uh, make that decision. There is no plebiscite, a referendum that you can have on the island in favor of any decision uh, because those, those referendums are non-binding. And so it's the U.S. Congress who ultimately can make the decision whether to annex the island or grant it independence. And so, um, and so the battle continues with the poor little island and its people. And meanwhile, the people on the island suffer. Now they've been hit with all of these, um, you know, earthquakes and aftershocks. Folks are sleeping outdoors, afraid to go into their homes for fear of an aftershock that'll collapse the roof on them, you know, and then they'll perish. And the U.S. hasn't said not one word about not even the relief effort uh, for Maria, which, which hasn't even totally reached the island. You know, a lot of those dollars are tied up over here stateside, you know, and not, and haven't even reached the island yet. And now with, with, with these earthquakes, the U.S. has failed to, to announce any, any programs or any relief efforts of, of any significance to help people on the island. So you don't, you know, you want to maintain it a territory. Mm-hmm. You know, you got investors going down there and buying up land and homes of people who are fleeing because of the hardships that they're facing down there. So now that once again you're you're putting land that belongs to the Puerto Rican people in the hands of foreigners, Americans mostly, and um, and then you don't you know you don't want to make a decision whether you want the, the the country make it a state, annex it to the U.S., make it a state, let it get full-fledged um, statehood, if you will, and, and and move forward. If that's if if you really care about the people, uh, their citizenship, you know, and then really being part of this nation, then do that. Exercise that right. They're the only ones who have the 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 the, the right to make that decision in in terms of how you know, all these laws and, and uh, were written. And therefore, you know, they need to make a decision, but they won't, you know, they won't make a decision either way. You yeah. know, it, they, they continue to chase people who, who um, and, and, and persecute people who, who uh, scream, uh, you know, freedom, you know, that they want freedom, that they want sovereignty. You can treat, you know, you continue to persecute and kill them if you can and incarcerate them. You know, the most recent victim of that was a young man from, uh, he's not young anymore.
more, obviously, because he spent uh, over 32, 33 years in prison. Uh, he was from Chicago. Oscar Lopez uh, uh, was, Rivera? Uh, was an activist. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Was Lopez Rivera. He was a uh, he was an activist and uh, in a, in a you know and and uh, a, a how do we say proponent of Puerto Rican independence and the U.S. went after him and his folks out in Chicago and incarcerated him for for a lot of years. He only got out the other day, uh, you know, during the um, during the Obama administration. Yeah, you know, so you know. Um, it leaves a lot to be desired because it shows how our nation is, uh, you know, has utilized other countries for for the sake of exploitation and their own monetary um, gains uh, without consideration to others. And that seems to be our foreign policy, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's exploit everyone we can and extract everything we can, you know. And now the island is falling apart, and and the money's not going into it to for um, for uh, you know rebuilding and and uh, you know efforts to to stabilize the island, if you will, and, and rebuild it. Um, not only from the after effects of Maria, but but more so now the the earthquake, you know, that has brought down uh, thousands of homes and stuff. Yeah, um, and uh, but then you don't want to grant it independence either, so that the people on the island can 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 pick a form of government. You know, naturally now, you know I I understand that the U.S. worries about a communist regime or a socialist regime establishing itself on the island, but when most of the people don't believe in that anyway, you know, and it's a small group of people that do. Mm-hmm. The likely the likelihood of that happening is, is slim to none. You know, the fact of the matter is that the folks on the island would probably be more like on the Dominican Republic, where they have elections and everything else. You know, and would probably be just as corrupt as it is now. You know, but at least they would be able to to wheel and deal on the international markets, if you will, and attract. Uh, businesses and investments from other foreign nations, not only the United States, and probably be able to provide uh, better living for its people. You know, granted, 96% about 90, it's good. Puerto Rico has like a 96% literacy rate, mm-hmm. and many of its and many of its citizens go to college and university. You know, um, so it's not only a very literate nation. Um, voter turnout it's uh in the in elections uh, like 86 percent so it's it's a lot higher than than that in the united states uh which tells you that people care about that about their country and are willing to participate in a democratic process you know to get things done you know that alone should tell you a story that alone should tell you that it that, that if the island was granted independence that um it would not be an enemy of the united states Obviously, not that the U.S. would allow it anyway, because I'm pretty sure the first thing that they would do is send the CIA in anyway, you know, and find out what the heck's going on and who's going to do what, and who's going to move into positions of power and everything else. You know, um, Winship, you know, Governor Winship, 
So just real quick, um, real yeah. quick numbers on the Puerto Rican voter turnout. So it's yeah. 68.05%. That recently, right? Yeah, average right now. So. Yeah, that's, I think that, that has to do a lot with the, um, with the, the that the past 10, 15 years, um, after the abolishment of the, um, of 936, which was a tax code that, that favored, um, U.S. corporations setting up shop, gave them between 10 and 25 years of tax relief. Yeah. If they did so on the island, um, a lot of those companies began to leave uh, when they lost that, um, tax, uh, relief. And, uh, and a lot of folks began to be unemployed. Now, the, the island has always had a stagflating economy and a high unemployment rate to begin with. You know, the true figures, the figures reported on the high end were always uh, 18, 19, 16, 20, you know what I'm saying? But the real rate was probably more like 40 to 50% unemployment on the island, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so uh, after 936 was abolished, you know, that's when the, the people began fleeing the island once again. And we, we began to have another influx here in the United States of Puerto Ricans, uh, you know, close to uh, 500,000, if not more, uh, Puerto Ricans left the island the past 10 years. I mean, you can look that up. and Maybe you can get a, a good number for us. But I know that about half a million or more Puerto Ricans have left the island in, in the past 10 years. You know, at least that's what's been said uh, in the media. So, I mean, you can you can research if you will. You have to look it up, and maybe we can share that information with our listeners. Yeah. Um, uh, but, um, you know, a lot of them uh, are, have that, that have left the island are going up to places like Oregon and Washington State and Minnesota. Uh, apparently, Kissimmee, af- apparently after uh, Mar- Orlando. Apparently after Mar- Apparently, after Maria, about four percent of the island's total population left. Right. So, what's four percent? And that's only after Maria. Yeah, that's a hundred and thirty thousand people. Okay, and before that, and before that, they had already been leaving in droves for ten years prior to that. Imagine that. Hmm. And that was a big topic of, of discussion that, that folks are fleeing the island because of lack of employment. You know, I still have family that lives on the island, and I'll tell you, man, even the most educated people are having difficulties finding jobs. I have an aunt that has three degrees, used to work for the municipal government, lost her job because um, her uh, political party lost the election, okay? So hmm. she lost her job after almost two decades. And now she's uh, she's about 61 years old because she's my age. She's like a couple of months older than I am. Yeah. And can't find a job. You know? And that's, well, the same thing happens here in the U.S. You know, once you reach a certain age, it's very hard for you to find a job unless you have a a skill, if you will, that, that's highly um, desired. You know, it's usually uh, if you're an inventor or you're in electronics or computers or something, you know, that's highly, uh, not only desired, but needed, you know? And so, um, and so that's the situation on the island. I think it's important for people to know that, 
you know, Puerto Ricans are citizens. They don't need papers to come here, you know. Uh, they can come here with just an ID, and they, they don't even need to show their birth certificate, believe it or not, just like an American. Um, and um, it's, and that the reason why I mention it is because in the media, on YouTube, in a lot of social media, you see a lot of folks who have come from Puerto Rico to the United States and expected to be treated differently than what they're being treated. And because of their heavy accents and, and, and what have you, they're being treated like if they were foreigners from another country. You know? Mm -hmm. But then you have to ask yourself, are they really foreigners from another country? If they are, then the U.S. has been lying to people all along. And if they're, in fact, citizens of this country as provided in the Jones Act of 1917, they have the very same rights that any other American has in this country. You know, yeah. and should be treated, and should be treated like American citizens and not discriminated against because they are Latinos. You know, they speak uh, Spanish, you know. Yeah, it's one of those, that's, that's one of the weird things about empire, right? is that you're going to have um that's one of the weird things about empire just because you're going to have a very diverse set of people right coming in uh and right. america which is a country that was ultimately built on the idea of having a diverse influx of people from all over um coming in and essentially contributing to the nation right is like right. everybody, anybody who's looking for freedom to come here, um, in this kind of like, mm -hmm. it's almost Hispanics are kind of like having the moment now that um, uh, the Irish had or the Italians right. had, right? Where right. they were experiencing discrimination from people who were here. It's essentially just right. their turn, really. Uh, in terms of like the waves of kind of xenophobia that tend to happen, uh, especially here, right. right? In Europe, you see it right now with uh, uh, the Muslim pop with the Arabs, right? Right. Ar North Africans and people from the Middle East who are fleeing, mostly North Africans, fleeing uh, the civil right. wars that are going on there, like in Syria and stuff like that. Right. So, it, right now, it seems like it's just. You know, eventually it'll subside, right? Because that's always what happens. This is a this is a pattern. So, right. eventually we'll get to the point where it's not Puerto Ricans or it's not Hispanics. It'll be some somebody else, whatever, whatever, ever. Um, if there is one, right? A, right? Whatever the next big ethic, um, ethnic influx of people becomes. the Jones Act, which, so there were two Jones Act. One of them was a maritime one, but um, let me give you the exact name. So the Jones Act that, that, that actually grants Puerto Ricans uh, citizenship in 1917 is called the Jones Shafroth Act. Okay. That's spelled Jones Shafroth S-H-A-F-R-O-T-H The Jones Shafroth Act mm -hmm. is the one that Jones Act, which is a maritime one, um, 
people talk about the Jones Act, and they say, well, with the Jones Act granted citizenship. How could the Jones Act have to do anything with the maritime? Well, they were two different Jones Acts. And so I just wanted to clarify the name, the exact name of the act that actually grants Puerto Rican citizenship in 1917 and effectively makes Puerto Rican men eligible for the draft. Yeah. And then 20,000 get drafted into World War One. Yeah. Now, Puerto Ricans have uh, fought in American wars and conflicts ever since. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in very high numbers. So that's, that's also uh, important to note. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Puerto Ricans have been coming to the United States for uh, a very long time, even even around the time of the um, of the American Revolution. There were Puerto Ricans here in this country. <laughs> yeah, who were who were exiled because of their you know activities against Spain. You know, so so that's that's another important thing to note. Um, Very interesting. A lot of folks don't know. Yeah, a lot of folks don't know that. Um, You know, it's it's a a small island uh, nation with uh, with a very rich history. It really is, and uh, a history worth uh, noting, and one that would complement, if you will, and add to the richness of what's already the United States. Should the United States decide to annex it, which I believe it won't. Because I was saying before, when Fortunio asked Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney's response was, Puerto Ricans won't become citizens, uh, won't become a state. Puerto Rico will not become a state until every Puerto Rican on the island speaks English. And that probably won't be for another hundred years. That's, that was his exact response. <laughs> <laughs> Which was an insult to a, to a governor who believes in statehood. And then annexing the island to the to the, yeah. to the mainland. That's that's one of those you know? weird things where it's like, like, because Puerto Rico obviously they they can't they didn't choose the position they were in right, but it's right. obviously they're all going to speak Spanish right. That's the that's the mother tongue of that. Well, the the mother tongue bestowed upon them by their previous colonizers right. So. Right. Um, if we made the mistake, it's like you're, it really doesn't change any of the day-to-day operations, um, in terms of like any, any, like anything serious if they don't speak Spanish, as long as their leadership speaks English, right? As long as their governors and their congressmen would speak English. And and let me say this, that, that, uh, most most Puerto Ricans on the island actually speak English because they're taught English from grades 1 to 12. That's the first thing. Secondly, in the United States in an early effort to uh, take away the Puerto Rican tongue, if you will, and their culture actually enacted uh, public law, I believe it was, 40, was it 45 or 53. That was, uh, that was called the gag law. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, actually, it was it was Public Law Forty Five, which actually instituted the the English language to be taught in all schools in Puerto Rico and only English. So you know, uh, folks who grew up during that era can attest to the fact that um, that 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 the 
not the gag law, but the law that that imposes English on the on the Puerto Rican people, uh, when when enacted, you know, was actually tried, and and there was a lot of resistance on the island to it, and the and the, the United States actually had to back away from that. You know, they were trying to actually take folks' language and culture away from them, and have them speaking only English. You know, which didn't work. Yeah. Uh, during during the the conflicts between the 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 Americans and the Nationalist Party and other independence fighters on the island, they instituted this gag law um, that forbade anyone from speaking. But they, they couldn't even have their own flag flying at their home man, to be an American flag. If you if you flew a Puerto Rican flag or even had it in a closet in your home. And, and they would find out about it. The insular police found out about it. You could be thrown in jail. Or even uttering a word about independence and freedom or sovereignty. You could be, you know, and that's the premise, if you will, or the, um, what what this country has always taught us, right? Mm-hmm. And it teaches the citizens in school to, to be freedom fighters, to, to stand up for what's right. And to, I mean, our, and to be willing to fight for freedom, right? It's, it's, we, this we, is, we talk about George Washington. And, yeah, literally and people else. who were seen as terrorists in the eyes of the British, right? This is, it's the hypocrisy of having an empire is that you kind of have to, it, the hypocrisy of having an empire that was started on the back of a revolution essentially means that you have to backtrack in terms of like your public position and in in terms of like your private and public position against anybody doing a similar thing in order to keep order. Right. Which is terrible because those things don't even necessarily have to happen today if the government kept the mindset that people who want to have that freedom should be allowed it. Right. Because that was our whole thing is like we escape is like even before the Revolutionary War. Right. The Puritans came here seeking religious freedom um, and and essentially the United States became a haven for people who were seeking religious freedom. And then England decided they wanted to kind of take over and get a slice of the pie. And we said no. And then they taxed us. Right. They taxed us in a rate that probably would seem laughably low now um, because tax rates are so high in the United States. But that wasn't the point. The point was they were taxing us without representation or any real um, need for it. And we said, F that you're not going to take our money just because you wear a crown on your head. You pretentious oligarch and then right. <laughs> and then we right, right. and then we threw tea into the harbor and we started an all-out war so that way we could govern ourselves and we said and and gave and gave ourselves um weirdly enough right we we wrote the constitution in such a way that the government couldn't grant or um couldn't grant or take away rights they could only recognize rights right because we wrote it as our god-given right whether or not, even though obviously some of the founding fathers may not have believed in God, right? And there's um, differing opinions on their spirituality. They wrote that in there because they didn't want to give the government any power in terms of allowing people what they can and cannot do. Um, right, right. And then, and now we've co- kind of completely walked away from that uh, 
spirit, if you will, that like really right. amazing well, well, spirit that was. To, because it only applies to us. Exactly. Americans, and, even than, then, than and even then, and even then, and even then, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> apply yeah. to us. Yeah, that's true. true. So, so let me say this, that on February 21st, 1902, was when they enacted the statute that made the, the, both English and Spanish the co-official languages of the government of Puerto Rico, but made English the obligatory language of instruction in Puerto Rico schools. Ah. All right. All right. So, so in an effort go. to kind of help homogenize the country in terms of its a, its yeah. ability to communicate with ours. Right. Which but I wouldn't say work. is necessarily... And yeah, it didn't back work. away from it. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. And then... And then when the, when the, um, when the, when during the conflict between the nationalists and the other, and other freedom fighters in Puerto Rico and the, um, and, and the, the American government, a gag law was, uh, placed in, 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 this was 1948. And the purpose of that was to, to, to shut, basically, it was called La Ley de la Moldaza in Spanish. But it was enacted by the Puerto Rican legislature. Uh, you know, obviously the, it was the U.S. pushing for this, um, and um, and they um, they basically forbade anyone from flying the Puerto Rican flag, singing the Puerto Rican national anthem, speaking out against the U.S. government. And this was uh, Law Fifty Three, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, which was nineteen forty eight Law Fifty Three, which was actually. Uh, that gag law that was instituted in Puerto Rico and then later abandoned uh, because it was uh, it was causing a lot of problems, obviously. And, and you know, when when you have a uh, a population of, of people uh, that are rising up against you, you, you know, you have to sort of relax uh, your 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 restrictions, if you will, to 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 get them to back off. You know. Yeah, if you will, which is a tactic that all governments use when they have uh, opposition from within. You know, they try to relax a few things and try to open up a few things, and an opportunity to sort of dissuade people from from uh, from becoming combatants fighting against the status quo. So, but yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up. So, Public Law Fifty Three was the gag law, and in two thousand and in nineteen o two. In February was when they enacted the uh, that English only law, uh, you know, for for schools basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, you know. That was a year after, of course, uh, the, the conversion of the uh, of the peso to the American dollar. Now we can go on forever with a lot of examples, but we, you know, with, the show doesn't last that long, obviously, and we we, we just can't sit here and and talk about all the details, but there's much more. But, but for those folks who are interested, there's a good book out. It was written by uh, by a guy by the last name of Dennis, who's a, who's a, a doctor uh, and a lawyer. He's, he's got a doctoral degree. He's a, he's a lawyer as well. Um, who wrote a book called uh, The War Against All Puerto Ricans. Um, and uh, it's an interesting read. It's a good but it puts everything into perspective as well you know as how the how from the Spanish-American war going forward things sort of evolved on the island 
The War Against All Puerto Ricans, Revolution and Terror in, in America's Colony, a book by Nelson Antonio Dennis. There you go. There you go. It's a good read. So what, if, you, if you're really interested in the topic or want to educate yourself uh, about uh, Puerto Rico's uh, history and more more recent history, because we you know we we don't want to talk about what happened during with the Spanish occupation, obviously, uh, you know, which was uh, you know a domination of the uh, and elimination and extermination of the indigenous population, uh, very much like the Americans did here in the United States when when before they before our country and after our country became America, you know, just to take the territories and lands from, from the native people. Um, you know, the Spanish did pretty much the same thing uh, all over the Americas in their colonies, you know. So, um, first thing they brought with them was what, a Bible, a priest, right? And, uh, and, 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 they, and they imposed themselves, basically, and began teaching people religion, and they used religion, basically. And when religion didn't work, uh, then it became genocide. <laughs> you know, and, and genocide and theft outright, you know, to, to take lands from people uh, simply because it was in a formal process or written process of them uh, that they gave them right to the lands doesn't mean that they didn't that they weren't the rightful owners of that land they had been there for for uh, more than just generations right mm -hmm. if you believe in evolution they were there for thousands and thousands of years maybe millions yeah you know? at least at least a so, couple hundred thousand years possibly exactly depending on exactly. you kind of have to look at the what our spread looked like um yeah, i don't the know there's you you can look up yeah you can look up things online of, of humans across siberia and down into the americas and eventually into population yeah they went they went up islands. and they went across the bering land bridge and then they went down because the theory is that apparently there was like a thick sheet of ice over um over a lot of North America at the time, so like they would have gone yeah, down the Alaska, coast. Alaska and Siberia was connected. Yeah, the, the, yeah, Alaska and Russia, yeah, were connected to each other, and then mm -hmm. so, which is obviously that language facilitated the migration of, of humans. Yeah, exactly. And this was proven by a geneticist, by the way, here in the United States, who studied uh, evolution and and decided to do it on a genetic level. And he actually was able to, you know, and my wife actually bought me this, the, 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 the documentary because it was so good, I, I wanted it. And she bought it for me as a gift. Um, and he was able to connect genetically through DNA uh, people from all around the globe to one another. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. DNA is an incredible thing, I'll tell you. Yeah, and that's such an interesting thing, too. Because even um, because it our DNA is like different now, right? It's different now, obviously, than it was back then. But it went through a major change recently, uh, not like super super recently, but like within the last. Uh, let me look this up real quick so I can get 
real numbers because this is actually something that I found out that I thought was really interesting that I like talking about. Um, there was a volcanic eruption at Lake Toba, right? Um, and I, let me just check and see. It was like a super volcano explosion, right? And so it happened like around 75,000 years ago and it brought down humanity's numbers to something that was like a couple thousand people. And and we almost entirely restarted and to this day our DNA is different from that event, from that almost mass extinction event that happened. Yeah, exactly. Because humanity almost basically restarted as a species from that moment seventy five thousand years ago, so I, I think that's fascinating. That's one of like the coolest it, it, it things I found. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. It sort of debunks a lot of the the theories, if you will, <laughs> that 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 folks toss around about about humanity and how long we've been around and everything else too. So it's, it's only been like six thousand yeah. years. 10,000, 
from folks that, you know, and even connecting them back in history to, to their earliest ancestors, if you will. You know, and that's where you find, because of populations not being uh, very large in the past, right? I mean, we have, what, how many billions of people in this country? I mean, in the world now. Uh, <laughs> billions, country, right? billions of people in, in the, the country? I think it's like seven, seven point something billion. Something billion, right, in the, on the planet. But, you know, just 500 years ago, that wasn't the case. You know? Yeah. So... And we have to we have to put things into its proper perspective and realize that a lot of us are more connected than what we realize. If each of us could sit down and have a DNA study done, um, you know, many of us are probably you know fifth, sixth cousins, seventh cousins removed. You know. Yeah, that's one of those things. And, like, uh, remember when they found out that Obama and Dick Cheney were distant cousins? Yeah, exactly. That was crazy. And, so, and, and <laughs> yeah, and so see. And so that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, that, that we have people who believe themselves to be superior to others, yet they're connected to those very things, to many of the people who they claim to be, who they believe are inferior to them. Let's put it like that. You know, because that's really the case, that, that, that there are folks who, who, who controlled, uh, control not, not only the governments and, uh, and, the, and the monies, that circulate around this planet and think themselves to be superior to everyone else. And the fact of the matter is that somewhere along the ways they're connected with everyone else. Yeah. You know? So, so a reality that they can't run away from. The sooner we understand this and, and learn about this stuff and are actually able to, to, to have these DNA tests performed on just common folks and connect them to, to, other people in this country and around the world, you know, the, the sooner we're going to be able to come together and realize that, hey, guess what? We may look different, but we're really all one people. We really are. And we, and we, we need to, uh, to move forward together. You know, if the human race is going to survive uh, calamities of the future with global warming and everything else that are being predicted, you know, we have to come together. We have to be able to come together. You know, Puerto Rico is just a, a microcosm, if you will, of, of, of that whole equation. It is a you know? it is a footnote in the essay paper of why we need to stop acting terribly to each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, anyway, I think that's it. That's all I have on Puerto Rico. I mean, you know, I I, I, I encourage people to learn. And uh, know that when you meet a Puerto Rican on the street, that they are actually U.S. citizens. They're not coming here without papers. They're not illegal aliens, like people think. You know, the island is a territory of the United States. It may not be a state yet. It may never be a state for all we know, but they, they are U.S. citizens. Yeah. And they have the very same rights that many of us have here. You know, although when they're on the island, they can't exercise all the same rights because there are restrictions to that as long as they're on the island. As soon as they land here on the U.S. mainland, you know, all of the other rights come into play, just like any other American. Yeah. You know, and, and so, and then the other thing is, you know, we have to talk to our representatives to, to support uh, 
any decisions in Congress um, to help uh, rebuild this island and, and help its people recover from the last couple of years that have been horrible, you know, for for the Puerto Rican population. You know, it's, it's kind of sad. I still have relatives on the island, and so I feel for them because I know that they they got to be going through some very difficult times, you know, and so it, it bothers me. Um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot that, 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 that one person can do, especially when you're not uh, wealthy, right? It's not like you have a bottomless, uh, you know, pit of money hanging around somewhere, you know, made billions of dollars in the bank like Bill Gates does, mm-hmm. you know? And so you can't really do do much, but um, but if we all come together and, 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 uh, and advocate on behalf of the Puerto Rican people, we can actually help them uh, rebuild that, that nation and that territory, uh, regardless of whatever decisions and whatever controversies exist politi- politically. You know, um, we 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 owe them a um, a debt of gratitude, if, if you will, because of the the wealth that Americans have been able to extract from that island in the past 120 years, and continue to do so. You know, yeah. The least the least we could do is give some of it back to help them rebuild, even if we have to control it ourselves a little bit, you know, more uh, because of the corruption. It's obvious that they can't be trusted to, to use the money in the right way. So it would actually not only take an act of Congress, but it would have to, you know, Congress would probably have to set up some type of uh, body that would oversee the, the the spending of that money, you know, to make sure that it's going to the right places and the right things are being, and the right types of projects are being pursued in order to help them rebuild that nation. Yeah. It's a beautiful country, man. I'll tell you, it is. It is a beautiful. Country. We should go. Yeah, we no, should. And, and we should have a chance to go one day. You know, we should. Uh, flights are very cheap down to we, get to get over there. It doesn't cost much. You know? We should. We should try and go this summer. Well, let's see what happens this year. You know? be, that'd be. That uh, might be fun. Maybe it'll be something. Yeah, maybe it'll be something we can do. Help with know? the film. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> So. Go stay in Old San Juan a couple of days, you know. Yeah. And uh, and and just run around, you know, the island a bit, so you can see, you know, uh, how people live down there. And you know, there's just some really good people, man. And, you know, it's like any other country has all of the same social ills that that any other country has. You know what I'm saying? But overall, it's a it's a very good. It's a very, uh, it's a country of very nice people with a very rich culture and history, and uh, and they deserve better. They really do deserve better. They've sacrificed hundreds of thousands of lives in the past wars. You know uh, that the United States has been has been in. You know, uh, Puerto Rican men, you know, joined the, the military at very high numbers in proportion to the population because of the lack of employment. And that's the U.S. military, because there's no such thing as a Puerto Rican military. Okay. Yeah. So so uh, they're very much defending the, the rights of America and Americans, you know. And, uh, and they, you know, we, we owe them a, good, a debt of gratitude, and we 
we should be helping them rebuild and recover from not only Hurricane Maria, you know, and the devastation that was caused then, um, that they're still working to recover from, but now the recent, you know, um, earthquakes and aftershocks that have occurred um, that, that have really uh, further devastated the island. So that's my spiel for today, guy. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I think we can close with. I, I just want to say something. You know, I, I really, with this whole incident with uh, with Kobe Bryant, you know, I really feel for his family, and um, you know, I'm just praying that they can get past beyond this. You know, in the future, going forward, you know, because it's it's very difficult for. Uh, a family to lose the, you know, the head of household, basically, if you will, and the, and the, the person who was earning them the income, yes. you know, the, and had the creative mind um, to then lose that that person and, and and try to move forward becomes a very difficult task, and and we know that there are vultures in this country that take advantage of families like that, unfortunately, you know. Yes. But we're hoping, but we're hoping that that they. Some, that they surround themselves with some good people and that they're able to get beyond this and continue to move forward and maybe do something for the legacy of Kobe Bryant. You know, and, and not only as a as a sportsman, as a great sportsman, but also as a as a great African-American, you know, in the United States who's contributed uh, to not only the sport, but, you know, to this, to, to American society, you know, with his business ventures and what have you. Yeah. You know, a, he's a he's so. a he's he's a he's a shining example of what uh, perseverance in this country looks like uh, for citizens. Yeah. It is definitely an inspiration uh, yeah, for, for sure. those who seem to maybe, you know, a lot of people f- feel disenchanted with the American dream. But I think he's one of the he was one of the, the people who definitely showcased that it was still alive and well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Although it's getting harder to to believe in it nowadays, but yeah, you know, there are still There's possibilities still... out there. You know, and I yeah. think that that the more that we realize that 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 we need to be making decisions for ourselves, for our families and communities, working together. You know, and that and that as a people, we need to move together and unite around issues. Yeah. Um, and not allow ourselves to, or, or allow a, a small group of people because they're wealthy to control policy and politics and laws and everything else in this country, you know, that don't actually benefit the general population, but just that small group, you know, Agreed. Uh, that we need to move together to sort of, um, to sort of straighten out, our, you know, the, the direction in which this boat is moving because we're all on it, in it together. Exactly, and and it, it's upon it's incumbent upon us to 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 right the ship's direction and and um, you know and get ourselves back on track and uh, you know so that we're no longer the United States is not viewed upon by other nations as the ogre of the world, if you will, the bully of the world. Yeah, the bully, the policeman, the great explo- exploit exploiter, you know, and everything else, every other. Um, 
you know terrible uh, name and stuff like that yeah yeah that, that they have that, that they've played on you know that they placed on americans because of the historical legacy that they've left behind our country has left around the world you know and continues to leave you know so we we, we have to change that and it's a, we, we if we don't change it then we we deserve everything we get Moral of the story for today, guys, be nicer to people (laughs) and try and be understanding. (laughs) Yeah, people are going through stuff. The Puerto Rican people are going through stuff. They're Americans, you know. Kobe Bryant's Uh, family is going through stuff right now. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, exactly. People in Australia are going going through stuff. Half their freaking country is on fire. Yeah, so just try and... And we have to be be more more sensitive to to the needs uh, and the and the struggles of others and and when we have the ability to help we should be willing to jump right in and help you know uh and not feel like we're giving something away to someone that's lazy which is the general attitude that's that you know that's that uh that's being sold out there, you know, oh, why, why should we help them? Why can't they help themselves? Why won't they do this for themselves? Why won't they do that for themselves? It's not about that. It's about the way our system is structured, the way our economy is structured, and the fact that it doesn't provide for everyone adequately, period. And that with, with racism and other uh, issues that sort of come into play and influence things, um, you know, some... Uh, we, we have to admit the fact that the certain populations in this country benefit more than others, plain and simple. You know, and, and this is supposed to be, I've always learned and been taught from a child that I was educated in this country, that this was the land of opportunity, you know, and that everyone had a fair shake, you know. Unfortunately, throughout the years, I found out that in order for you to get a fair shake in this country, boy, do you have to fight. <laughs> You have to fight tooth and nail for everything. Otherwise, you don't get it. You know, and even then, you may not get it. So, nothing, nothing, nothing in life is guaranteed except death and taxes. Remember that, people. So, there you go. But anyway, anyway, that's all I have. Thank you, guys. Close it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys, so much for listening to another episode of Pop Progressive. As always, my father and I really enjoy doing the show. It gives us a chance to talk about things that we really enjoy, history and politics. Uh, something that, you know, kind of his whole life and then my whole life by extension of him uh, have been involved with and fascinated with. So this it's it's nice to have an outlet to kind of talk about those things. So I just want to thank you guys. Ask you guys if you want to support the show, come a donor if you please or just continue watching and listening to episodes that helps as well tell your friends family everybody if you find this content as mentally stimulating as we hope it is (laughs) and uh, even though we're just two people who don't really know anything (laughs) we just talk about stuff we're not we're We're not the brightest bulbs in the batch no we have some interesting things to share yeah we're just we're just normal people like you and like you and everybody else we just find certain things interesting so we hope you guys have a great uh start to your week because obviously tomorrow's monday which is i think is when a lot of you guys will actually be listening to this episode and uh yeah we just hope to see you guys around and stay tuned for more podcasts 
uh, on Truth, Justice, and the Podcast. So, adios. Good night.